Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. to BJJ Mental Models episode 97. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, a huge honor, someone I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time, someone who I think his philosophy probably aligns a lot with mine, Mr. Priet Mikkelsen, all the way from Estonia. Priet, how are you doing? I'm good so far. So, uh, so it's just 9 a.m. and I'm sharp, ready to go. <laughs> Are you a coffee drinker? Uh, yeah, I drink coffee nine o'clock also. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm a big coffee holic. I even made a post in Facebook, I think, a couple of days ago when one of my privates was paid by coffee, 12 kilos coffee sent I from I saw Netherlands. that. I saw that. Yeah. So so, like, someone paid you in coffee. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. The whole relationship between coffee and jujitsu is fascinating. Like, I don't know many people who do jujitsu that don't drink coffee. I think almost everyone I know who does jujitsu is a coffee enthusiast. I, that's funny you say that because I know a few guys actually who don't drink coffee. Like Bernacki doesn't drink coffee and a few of my students don't drink coffee. Well, let's be honest. Bernacki's a total weirdo. <laughs> yeah. I also, I don't know if you guys have this, but sometimes... Sometimes when it's like 10 or 11 at night, I'm like, I can't wait to wake up and have coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I have that dilemma a lot where it's late at night and I want coffee, but I can't have it because I just won't be able to sleep at all. <laughs> that is, you know, I hate mornings. I am not a morning person, but the one thing about mornings that I like is I get my coffee. If not for that. I probably just would not bother to get up in the morning. I would just stay in bed all day long. <laughs> Agreed. But on the topic of more productive things, um, one of the reasons, Preet, why I wanted to have you on this show for so long is because you are what I would consider to be a turtle enthusiast like myself. I mean, listeners of our show know that I am constantly going on about turtle. You half jokingly most of the time, honestly. It's mostly just a way to troll Matt and troll my students but today, what I wanted to do was, first of all, to really dig deep into the concepts of turtle, get your core philosophies on how to play this position, what you think everyone should do from there, what you think people are doing wrong from there. Maybe also just at a high level to kind of talk about the, the debate as to when and how you should play turtle. I mean, I know that a lot of the times when people talk about turtle, the main knock against turtle is that it's generally not considered to be an offensive position. It's considered mostly to be a defensive position, which is understandable. But I think obviously you still need to train it because even if you don't want to go there, there's a very, very, very good chance in, in a fight or in a jujitsu match that you're going to wind up going there. So better to be competent there than, than not to be. For me personally, the big breakthrough for when I realized turtle was something that I needed to work on 
was when, you know, I would try to regard. I used to think that if someone was in the process of passing your guard, really the only thing that you were supposed to do was turn to face them and regard. Um, and I was always taught from, from white belt, don't ever turn away from your opponent. Don't ever do that because they'll get your back. But I've, of course, over the years, I've realized it's just not that simple. You know, you can very effectively turn away, turtle and reset. And if your opponent chooses to engage you and actually latch onto you, you have the ability to do a degree of off balancing and actually take control of the position from turtle as well. I mean, not a lot of high level guys do it, um, but there are people who do yourself included. And I just like to get your thoughts on this position, um, what you think people should do from there. And again, what you think the main mistakes are that people make when they go there? Well, I, I will want to clarify one thing, just nitpicking. Uh, I consider myself back, back forward player. So that means that I play, I try to discover and play all the position that, that allows me to play back forward. That means uh, there's a, we know that there's a turtle, there's an upright turtle, there's a sitting turtle. Uh, I guess the running man, I call, you know, you can jokingly call it like a half turtle. And also hawking, uh, that I use that when I a little bit turn away, a bit turn away from opponents is kind of a little bit showing the back. So I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know why even I'm trying to study the the game that's that's people people get stressed out when it's mentioned and uh, and then so that's you know we can talk about a turtle definitely but I just wanted to clarify that what's what's my studies it all started with turtles so so turtle definitely I think the turtle gets a bad reputation because the way it's done because I would say the way I see it's mostly done I wouldn't recommend it. And if somebody would play it, I'm talking about uh, elbows on a mat that you usually see. And uh, let's say elbows on a mat, uh, they can be also, let's say, connected. Uh, elbow tips could uh, could touch the knees. And then people's, let's say, wrists are lifted so they could protect their neck. But still the elbows are on a mat. Sometimes even the version you see elbows are like forearms are even on a mat. And then uh, the forearms are inside the knees, so to speak, but they're touching the mat, but they're tucked in inside the knees. And then they're like, it almost looks like a good turtle, but it also has its flaws. So I think that's a bad reputation. That's uh, because everybody that do does those kind of turtles will get, you know, let's call it destroyed rather sooner than later. And uh, if there's, you know, ratio of success is low there and ratio of, the feet is high, then people will blame the position and they stop playing that. And coaches will tell people that don't do it because it clearly leads to defeat. And uh, so that's, in a way, that's correct the way they do turtle. But I, I would argue that there's a really nice, solid way that not many people are talking about it. And you can really make people super passive, like a day one situation when they just need to be safe. And then you start to just add some stuff, you know, stand-ups, guard pulls or whatever attacks you want to do. You build on it because you want to build activity, but you start with a passivity. Like, uh, you know, I would always call you start just, you know, boxing stance, neutral stance, do your jab, do your cross. You know, you just twist your body. You don't teach right away all the movements and you just make them do stuff, survive, you know, and then you, you build on that. And in different environments... You have different strategies in in MMA. You have to do everything fast. You have to know what the, the dichotomy. I think what people don't get it and why why people 
uh, like they don't understand why passivity is actually awesome because the uh, they underst- I understand the reasoning that you have to escape fast, and uh, that's nothing wrong with that. But the ability to make the best decision under pressure when the, the threat is the biggest comes from being in that position the longest. So that's that's why I like that survival mechanism that or uh, survival stuff. I emphasize that that people should stay there, figure it out how to be safe, kill all the attacks. And then find the best way out. And the more you play there, the more, the quicker you will find the, the, you know, so to speak, the way out. And then don't use the position even in the end. If you if you have to, or if you are in bigger threat, you have to escape right away. And also, you have that ability to be super passive. Definitely more in jujitsu, I think. If you're a recreational grappler, you're tired. You just want to survive and get your breathing back and. You know, and then you have your trench, so to speak, and you gather your strength and then you move on. So it can be used differently, depends. And clearly, I'm, I, I think like if you're a fighter, you have to be in that good shape that you, you will not need those breaks and all those things. But that's, that's a different strategy already. But basically, I think uh, uh, so it, it's the way it's played. And it's the, there's so much, I think, I'm not educated in logical fallacies, but I think there is a logical fallacy that people say don't turn your back and then then people don't learn to deal with turning the back and what to do there and uh, but we we clearly see that people get behind people so that's what we see so the back exposure happens so for me logical is like i rather know what to do when back exposure happens than rather just avoid it and have that mindset that I will never show the back if that was true, if that strategy would help, then we would not see back exposures. But clearly, that's not the case. So I usually don't understand those arguments that just don't show your back. This, this is a strategy thing. It, this is not like a learning thing. Learning, you clearly learn those techniques and you learn to learn to something that if somebody goes behind you, how you act, what is your chances, what they want, how to shut it down. And you have step by step. And then, then it's a game, you know, definitely competitions, you might not let them, but, but I think if you're, if you know how to defend when somebody is behind you, then I think you're way more calmer also doing your attacks and you're not over committing. Or even I think even sometimes you're way more aggressive in your attacks if somebody's front of you because you know you can take risks because you don't, you're not afraid. Because sometimes, you know, the, I usually use the boxing analogy that, MMA boxing, that you will box way better if you know you have wrestling takedown defense. So, but it's a little, little bit like counterintuitive. Why do I have to spend so much time on developing defense if I just want to punch somebody in the face? So you will actually be way more aggressive because you have wrestling. So you, your guard will actually get way more better if you have good, like, you know, whatever defensive structure inside control. So it's not always like, oh, don't let them pass. It's also logical fallacy. So th- clearly they happen. So the key case, the argument is how to get back fast. And then, then all the escapes and how to escape, all those come into play. So, but I think it's really about the structure. So I don't know if you know how I play it, but I, I've tried all, I think, you know, all different structures. But the way I play it is right now, uh, head on a mat. And my elbows are in my hip bones, so to speak. They're more out than people expect. But uh, the neck's, neck is protected by wrists. 
Um, actually, I think Firas Sahabi somehow, I don't think he's a turtle guy, but I think he's in his last role when he had this, you know, narrated roles. He showed something turtle and it was pretty, I think it was pretty similar that I never seen him use that. So I have no clue how he got it uh, and where he got it. Because uh, usually he hasn't shown those, those turtle techniques in a way. I, I, I think I've seen some of it, uh, but, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, something, I don't know, bad or something. But uh, I think he showed also head on a mat, you know, elbows out on the hip area, not on a mat. And uh, kind of necks are, neck is protected by wrists. And I usually add uh, right away the head tilt because the neutral head is dangerous when opponents are, are left and right. Uh, because you, you can get tilted, let's say, a little bit, little bit easier, but it's not easy. So that is a structure I, I, I usually say people should start. Uh, usually this also happens, I recommend, when opponent is, you know, your opponent is on your, let's say, on your upper back, so you cannot lift your head. So they're pressuring you, they're in upper body, they, they like anacondas, darces, they like seat belts, all kind of game, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that is super safe and I can teach pretty much shut, I, I know it sounds stupid, but I can, I can show you how to shut down jujitsu to the beginner in basically in five minutes. It's, um, and you have to go even through beginner using a lot of, lot of force. So I think that's a good experiment to have. So, so yeah, so that's would be introduction. So let's go from there. Just a quick question, uh, Preet. Did you always gravitate towards the turtle position like from no you know for me my my game has changed i've trained over a decade and my game has really changed from white to blue you know all the way up to black and uh, i've played with a variety of different positions when i first started it was more traditional closed guard half guard then i started playing butterfly and and X guards and things like that. And then as I went into purple and brown, I started doing a lot more barambolos and crab rides and trying to get to the back. And now, now, now that I'm black belt, my game actually has gone a lot more into like back to classic jujitsu, like passing with pressure and closed guard and stack passing and things like that. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, were you always into turtle from day one or what? No, you know? no, no, no. Because it's weird because, you know, I, one of the people that I guess gave me information was Matt Thornton. And uh, they always, in SPG, they always said that turtle is a transitional position. But uh, now I know they, they were, you know, incorrect. Because I think every, everything you can argue is like mount bottom is a transitional position in MMA, you know? Because if you allow somebody to mount and start punching, you know, that's too late already. So you usually escape in transitions when they go from side to mount or something. But people were just like, people were so afraid because uh, they had, people had ideas uh, what to do in side control. They had their frames and stuff on the hip and neck. And I still disagree with that, actually, in, in, uh, in a certain context. And people knew kind of what to do, you know, and the turning the back was all the, all the, you know, from the devil, so to speak. And then if they go to turtle, the way, like I said, the way they, they did turtle or everybody did, or, you know, most people did, I think was it it wasn't uh, i don't know it wasn't their fault i don't know why they didn't challenge the previous information because it was clearly handed to them you know i would say in a broken broken way and if they would do that turtle they would definitely be more in danger and that's why it was called also transitional position and i was lucky enough that, that you know i was i saw what tellus did 
So um, I know people's arguments are usually, oh, but Telus loses fights. And this is like, uh, I think the saying is throwing a baby out with a bathwater or, or what's the, what's the way? Or, you know, you know the saying. Because, yeah, my Telus might lose, but, you know, show me the person who's taking his back. Like there's really very, 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 very few of them. So he might lose because also Telus's game is kind of crippled because IB Jeff lost all the points from Turtles because I was I was seeing his matches where where you know uh, trap and rolls from Turtle were two points and that's how he got to top and then the Kimura people. But so that that game was justified a bit more. But these days the Turtle is you know the points are killed. Nothing works from the knees at point as points. So. It doesn't make sense to have turtle game, this kind of turtle game. But uh, so it caught my eye that that guy was kind of like nobody could take his back. So I, I think I, I got intrigued. So what is it? But the way he plays turtle, it's really hard to understand what it does because it plays it kind of open. And I can do the same these days. Uh, I can I because passive turtle, the way I teach it in the beginning is super boring for me. And I, I, I don't get a high anymore. I would use it against some NCAA wrestlers. Probably I would just try this because they're monsters. But but uh, against my you know against my my kind of size, kind of like jujitsu guy, my my level, who cares? I can I can use this and I I play very open because I get a better high. I risk more and then sometimes I get caught. But I know what I'm playing with because I wanna wanna see how how deep the rabbit hole goes. So I was lucky enough that that I met a Swedish guy, uh, Eric Linden, and he was really good for compared to me, you know, that I didn't have anybody to compare with, but he was really good in turtle. And it was really annoying. And I, it's fun part was he couldn't say, he couldn't say what was it. He couldn't say what was the essence of his turtle because we tried to mimic what he did and it didn't work. It took way more time and it was very, very detailed. And he even did some seminars and it was just, my mind was exploded, like too many details. It cannot be that complicated. And the people laugh at me and say, oh, Preet, what do you mean it took you two and a half years to figure it out? But it literally did. And uh, we tried all kinds of postures. And later when we found the posture we promote at the moment, then I asked him, is it this? Because we felt it's super strong and it answers all the problem that we had. And then he said, yes, this is the essence that I do. And so it basically said like the elbows in a hip and he's keeping the hips out, uh, like hooks out and he's just denying the upper body contacts. And so that was a start. And, uh, and if you ask me, did I always did do that? I don't remember because the, the weird thing, what, um, uh, what I have, I don't literally have no recollection basically of the things I did before those zero points when I discovered them. Because my kind of, you know, like a, there's a before Christ and after Christ. Yeah. What do, what do you call it? Like a time keeping or something or how, how it's called? Now, I'm, not, I'm not sure what you specifically the term is, but I know what you mean. Basically, like there was a moment in time where kind of like everything has changed after that yeah. point. So now I know exactly what I do. I can go, I can clearly understand my development after that zero point. We kind of trench, we, we've, you know, figured out. Is like okay. I know I know how it works. I know what I have to do. And I know what it based on. It's easy to pass on. Before probably even I don't know how I taught turtle before. I have no like recollection of that. So what what techniques did I do? I probably taught something, but how did I did it? How did I do it or whatever? I I I don't know. 
because it was a mess because probably it was like, okay, quickly do some technique from here because there's, there was no way to stay safe in turtle that because everybody kind of took the seatbelt or all the attacks and you had to really like have a situational reactional base all the time. And that took way more time to develop. And there was no, there was no like a shield position you could stay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fully understand what you're saying. I mean, I think I had a, a similar breakthrough at some point. I mean, for me, about a year or so ago, I realized, you know, my, my back defense was just not where I wanted it to be. I, I could do pretty good across the board, but if someone got my back, I was struggling. So I went through this phase where I basically just went right to turtle every time I rolled, um, simply because I wanted to give my opponent the opportunity to attack my back so I could learn to defend. And what wound up happening as I did that was not only did my back defense got get a lot better, but I realized that by strategically using turtle, I could actually fill in a lot of other holes in my game that I didn't even know were there. Like one of the things that I, I noticed, and you brought this up earlier, is that from an early day, I was told, don't go to turtle, never go to turtle. You're giving up your back. It's bad. Um, there was a lot of very dogmatic, you know, very absolute advice about it. And for a long time, I was just afraid to go to turtle, regardless of the situation, because people had put me under the impression you just you never go to turtle. But in retrospect, people were really saying the same thing there that they were saying about leg locks, right? Don't ever go for a leg lock because you're going to give up position. Well, it's turned out that that's not really true, right? It is possible to build a whole system around leg locks. And I think for turtle... There's no rule saying that you have to just like go there and just sit there like a rock and just do nothing, right? I think for me, the breakthrough was realizing that, yes, it is a defensive position, but you can take the initiative from there. You don't have to just sit there and let the guy attack you. And something that I know you've said, and I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into, uh, you've talked about the Stephen Hawking, which I, I thought was a, a hilarious name, but it's you're actually the only person other than me who I know that has taught this technique, and that is that you kind of like pinch your ear to your to your shoulder, for lack of a better term, and you look towards your opponent while you're in turtle. And by doing that, it makes it easier to roll, to regard. It makes it harder for them to get your neck. It makes it harder for them to choke you. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I know it's obviously a little bit hard to maybe describe over audio, but how does that position and the whole bit about bringing your elbows in how is that different from just the quote unquote old school way of playing turtle where you sort of just like sit there and do nothing? What, what are you asking now? What we're you comparing here? Old, old school, old turtle and my turtle? Well, what I'm asking specifically is when you talk about like the Stephen Hawking, something yes. that I've heard you say before, yeah. what is that detail? What exactly are you encouraging people to do? Uh, so that's uh, these days, you know, we also call it the boxing shoulder. Because, you know, usually if you punch, uh, you know, jab or a cross, you lift your shoulder to your chin, yeah? You kind of keep your shoulders up and you hide your chin. So boxing shoulder is like, you know, maybe more, more visually makes sense. But this is just the way I turn my head. And I guess if I'm in turtle, if opponent is at my right, I little bit tilt. I don't put my cheek on a mat because my neck is weird. I kind of put my hairline on a mat because that means my neck is strong enough to bury, uh, like a bear my weight if I have to move on my head. Uh, and I don't like to tilt it in a weird way. And then I just turn my head so I can see opponent. And what it does, it uh, makes pulling me over towards them actually harder. People use this all the time. You know, they grab the hip and they, you know, try to crash the hip. I, I think it's actually very, very hard to do when you have a good turtle to actually pull my hip to the mat. 
and uh, I would rather fall to a high running man or panda where I will not, it's very hard to make me land on my side totally. I either land in a running man, like if they pull me towards the head more, or if they pull me towards the hip, then I mostly land on similar to different heights of wrestling sit-outs. So if you can catch me on my side, it usually maybe happens in transition, but then we're talking about totally different thing than just killing the turtle. But uh, the head is just, uh, I guess we didn't have a name for long. And uh, it, it, I think it all started with Saulo Ribeiro when he was saying something in his old DVDs, when he talked about the side control stuff and, you know, uh, not giving people cross faces. And he was keeping his kind of head tilted in the side control and try to, you know, not give people the easy access to cross face by lifting the head. So it started with that. And then we kind of, after the, all the turtle stuff, we, we added that detail. It worked wonderfully there. Also, just not a neutral head. If somebody is front of you in turtle, then I use a neutral head, like just normal head. But if you kind of walk around, I kind of follow you always with my head tilt, so to speak. Uh, and it helps. And I agree with you that maybe guard pulls are easier, you know, inverts are easier. And if you want to invert the way, kind of like, you know, kind of grand B roll away, then you have to turn your head. So that's the extra move. But I find that tilted default head position on a mat, I think, uh, does wonders as a, as a stability. But I wouldn't turn it too much because later, what good turtle actually, why it's necessary is um, because it's very hard to find out how good pack takes works if, you, if somebody is not good in turtle because then everything kind of seems to work. Good turtle kind of weeds out uh, the stuff that you don't have to get good at. And, and so that's why if I tilt my head too much towards opponent, and then maybe when he does those, uh, what you saw also in ADCC, I think Gordon Ryan and Greg Jones did those back takes against, uh, I think Gordon did it against uh, Romulo. I think he over the far shoulder kind of jumped over kind of, like, well, I call it jab cross back takes. You have to be able to turn your head when they jump over you and do back takes. Even if they have a, even if they have a seat belt, the same seat belt or same grips for a seat belt, so tilting right away too much with the head is kind of bad. So you just do enough. So, so that's what I call hawking, basically. And uh, you know, it's really a good dark joke, kind of like the guy was a genius. So is this move? And uh, so that kind of seems to divide people who get the joke and who doesn't. Uh, and I talked to very smart people about it that they actually said it's a really, really awesome joke, but it will divide right away the group. I thought it was called Hawking because Stephen Hawking's head was off to the side. Uh, it is. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, that's but but that's the joke because it is, uh, you know, when I say this, the guy was a genius. So is this move. So <laughs> the, you think it's a resemblance of what he did. Well, I think it's a resemblance of what he looks like. Yes. So, but I'm making I'm making a reference to different point. So then, if I say Hawking, people think what you think. But when I say what I what I say, the guy was a genius. So is this move? So now they're confused. Mm -hmm. Yes. So and also I've seen you know like comedies and stuff in uh, people do you know jokes about Hawking and stuff. And I think the offensive generation is also that's a different topic that. People feel offended by everything, but but so that's the reference. And uh, the, I use this move everywhere in side control. Also, when when I play more towards the mat with my, with my back, and in turtle, I use it in pandas, sitting turtles. So this is like overall theme how I just protect pretty much if I want my neck. Let's call it stupidly from everything. 
Yeah, I use it for mounts too, actually, because I found that I was going against these good uh, collar chokers. Yeah. And, you know, if I turned the wrong way, they'd be able to reach around and get like a, a lapel grip on me and really, really mess me up. And I found that by doing that, by kind of gluing my ear to my shoulder when I'm on the defense, I can close that gap. And it also helps me keep looking in the right direction, right? And that keeps my spine stronger. So I found that just not even in turtle, but across the board to be a very helpful tip. Yeah, because in mount also, if you just, uh, I have a, on my site, uh, the new site that's coming up, I actually have a section of critique techniques. And uh, one of the things I critique there is a mount extra. It's a weird thing to critique, but the, the way it's done, I think it's like, the way it's done, I don't think the way it's the way it's done in sparring. So I'm all about the setups. So technique might be good, but show me the setups and nobody has that open neck and you can just get two arms in and people will not, you know, grab the arm stupidly. And if I, if, you know, for you to go to armbar and, you know, combo attacks, uh, and if I just tuck my neck and even baby bridge or do something else with also using the boxing shoulder or hooking, all those things are super hard to do. And I'm always questioning people's setups because, you know, double leg also works, but show me the setup. So turtle attacks, I'm not saying nothing works, but if I take my passive turtle, I'm, I, in my level, I'm pretty sure I will shut everything down. And I'm not saying like a world level athlete that's like, you know, 10 times stronger than me. I can hold my own, I think a minute or something, I would argue. But uh, there is a technical like solution to that, that I actually think that me playing or promoting technical or technical back towards play, uh, games, will actually make attacks way better because people have less time to attack. And uh, the attack will actually get way more aggressive because you have way smaller gaps to attack. So that's usually the side effect is when I do my back escapes and turtles and all those things, that people's like precision for attacks will get super like uh, upgraded because they're used to playing with people, elbows are flat, you know, open left and right, and they will get their seat belts and and if you try to roll with me or somebody that can do what I do and getting like a seat belt, so connecting your arms, it's a hassle because I will grab your fingers, like a four fingers, I will grab your wrist. I will deny all your grips and attachments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So attacking becomes really weird. And getting even seat belts is like an exception. Yeah, I find the exact same thing. And I think that's where a lot of people play turtle wrong. They just kind of assume that you sit there doing nothing and your opponent is just going to hop your back and get the seat belt. And if that happens, you kind of already gave up the first line of defense. When I'm playing turtle, I'm trying to hand fight from the bottom. I'm trying to two on one, grab their hand. I'm not going to let them get a seat belt if I can avoid it. If they get that, then it's very, very hard to deny back mount, right? Yeah. So there's, yeah, so I agree with it. There's, there's deeper layers. So it, I think people have to have their own choice that what they want to get good at. And if you compete a lot, I understand the arguments that show me show me people that uh, do turtle and win. But I actually have a weird argument that not, not many people can, you know, let's say, discuss with me. And I don't know the answer why it's not, because I think actually IBJF would be ideal rule system at the moment for turtle to thrive, because you can easily avoid three points and get to the bag and lose advantage and get, uh, let's say, avoid three points, uh, give advantage away. But I would say advantage is way easier to get back than three points. Yeah, yeah. This is something I've never really understood about the the reluctance to turtle under IBJJF, which is that if you are trying to, to regard and you're trying to force a regard when it's just not there, 
then you're going to be on the defense. You're going to burn energy. The guy's probably going to pass eventually. But if you turtle, you deny them that three points. And if you're decent at turtle, you can reset and go back to guard or even get back up to your feet. And I don't see a lot of people who actually employ that strategy as as much as they probably should. It's a very, very effective way to, again, like you said, you give up an advantage, but you deny your opponent the opportunity to score those points. I do that a lot to people especially more aggressive people who are just in a big hurry to blitz. I find that sometimes if the guy really wants to blitz past you, the best thing to do is turtle away, reset, go back to neutral, and then kind of get into the position you want to do. And it is unfortunate that I think a lot of people, they look at regarding as kind of their only option. But like I said earlier, there is a tipping point with guard passes where at some point you've got to realize, okay, It is no longer feasible for me to just recover guard. This guy is way too far past that. And at that point, sometimes you're better off switching to to go to turtle or something and then try to reset from there. What I do a lot is I will go to turtle and then from there, I'll either regard or I'll push my opponent away and just get back up to standing uh, rather than just hang out and turtle. So I kind of use it as a neutral reset. It's a great way to frustrate your opponent. I mean, again, I would not necessarily suggest that this be your your plan A. Like, you, you know, you jump into a competition and you try to aggressively win by turtle. But the reality is sometimes things just don't go your way and you need to have a defensive game. Like the whole point of guard in jiu-jitsu, it evolved because it was an acknowledgement that, look, sometimes in a fight, you're going to wind up on the bottom. And rather than pretending that that's never going to happen, it's best to have a game plan and a skill set once you get there. And I think Turtle's very much the similar thing, right? If you are effective from there, again, you know, it's better to be on top of a guy in Turtle than be the Turtle guy yourself, usually. But that said, you know, wrestlers have known for ages that you can get a lot done from Turtle, so better to train that than not to, in my opinion. I like what you said, Preet, about how... um you know, because IBJJF has sort of changed the rules, now turtle is not a scoring position. You're absolutely right. We've talked about win conditions on the podcast before. Whereas uh, in ADCC, if you're on your knees and then you happen to reverse the position, starting from the turtle position, you still get the sweeping points, I believe. So that is something that I think IBJJF, it's, it's a rule that I'm not a huge fan of. I don't like the rule of, you need to have a guard before you can get awarded sweeping points. I understand they want to put an emphasis on the guard, but like if I'm in bottom side control and I do a reversal and I end up on top side control, I still think I should get rewarded for those points. And that's what they do in ADCC. I, I do think there is value for sure in the turtle in that you can avoid getting points scored on you against like a, a good passer who's deep in their guard passing phase and then you come up to turtle now you're in turtle you you're down an advantage but it is definitely better than losing three points to your opponent but my main thing again uh i'm i'm one of those guys who thinks the turtle is like just like all positions i think all positions are important i i don't put one in front of the other i think they you know it's very important to have a strong turtle position uh so it's not necessarily a an argument of is the turtle a good position or is it not a good position? It's definitely a good position. It's good to know that what to do from there. You know, you, you spend a lot of time on this episode talking about like just correct body positioning um, and how you like to play your system. That's really important. But my thing is I want to minimize the amount of time I'm stuck in defensive cycles and maximize the time that I can be in an offensive cycle. 
And the rule of, you know, don't show your opponent your back. Yes, there are exceptions to this, but I do think generally as a, as a rule, um, when you're going against really high level guys or especially in a context, let's, let's talk about the context of in a competition or even like MMA, for example. I know you teach MMA and, and, and what have you. So in, in the context of a competition, I still think that that rule is generally pretty solid because showing your back and hanging out there is not necessarily what I would recommend against like a Gordon Ryan or any, any world class black belt. It's not a smart decision. And I, I think that generally when I go to turtle, it's to avoid the pass. And then my goal becomes, how do I get the hell out of this position safely rather than trying to mount some offense from that position? So uh, let's say before I explain, I disagree with you. <laughs> but the point is that I, I, uh, I think people misunderstand. I, know, I think the turtle methods are or in a way that, uh, how do I start? It's, I understand the cycle, the offensive and defensive cycle. I, I'm totally for it. One argument is, like I said before, is the, if you know your escapes are solid, if you know you're, you're not afraid to, to show your back even against the, even against the best guys in, in, your divi- in the division, you're way more fierce in your attacks because you just care less and you know you get back. Because any mistakes you know, if you don't have a good defense, you know, in a side or, you know, turtle or whatever, then you hesitate more. And then it's a little bit, it's not that good, comfortable feeling because you know that you can mess up and then you have to scramble fast and then you even lose more energy because you have less trained it. Uh, because it's not so solid because clearly I understand the investment to, for an open guard. And, but then it's, uh, so then always question is how do you raise your average? That is, is, you know, five centimeters, you know, benefit added to your open guard or 20 centimeters average, whatever the, you know, I'm using the centimeter measure, measure, uh, benefits added to your turtle inside. I think you can raise the average like this, that there's certain like a point that making your open guard even way more, you know, better doesn't give you those, you know, bang of the, for the buck. And there, there is a like, uh, maybe makes sense, uh, to show your back. So, sorry, the, the develop your back escapes. And clearly what, what, what people do, they train back escapes and even side escapes compared to how they, how much they train their uh, guard or attacking game as, you know, not as much. And when somebody passes their guard, their, their person that's in top fighting totally different person in bottom now, they're, the level is totally changed. You can be like a black belt in guard and then purple belt in escapes. And then the top guy is a black belt in attacks because he's used to being a top. So it's not an equal fight and then becomes a really scrambling. I have to get out, but all the techniques are you know, not well trained against those t- kind of timings. And so my argument is, is I'm not going to promote that people should, you know, go recklessly to turtle and stuff. It's just my, my research is the back forward. And I'm, I'm fascinated about the information because, you know, a lot of people seem to be like scared of that, but I'm, I'm saying there's nothing to worry there. You can lose the same way you can lose in side control. I would even argue that side control uh, sometimes logically for people is more acceptable because they're more used to being there. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I, I've noticed that myself too. Yeah. And then turtle is like, they don't just, people don't practice turtle and back escapes as much and it's uh, and it's uh, you know 
then it becomes like a like a flow in itself and emphasizes their wrong kind of mindset. Uh, and um, also the way I think, you know, I, I don't teach people to get cross-face underhook on people. And I think to get side control cross-face underhook is an exception. I really do think so. And I teach that in, uh, in to beginners uh, because underhook and cross-face in side control equals a pin and pinning should be hard. Uh, and uh, binning should be exception. So if you get a seatbelt, that is not an exception in a way that it happens in thousand once in thousand, but it should be less available uh, compared to other things. That's where that way I treat all the seatbelts. Basically, if I treat somebody as a big threat, if they're not a big threat, I let them play more. Or if they're very good, they're gonna get it, and then I have to know what to do. But that's kind of what my mindset is, and I can you know show it also and explain it. So. I think my message is that we should know more, we should study more, and we should stop saying, like, don't turn your back, because clearly it's obvious. But what I don't like about it, because people keep saying, don't turn your back, don't turn your back, but clearly back takes happen. So we rather, I think it makes sense to know what to do, even against the best guys in the world, and have an equal fight. So my, my, my message is, we can have, I'm, I'm a firm believer of that. Even if somebody is on my back, we can have an equal fight. Like we will have in a guard pass and a guard. We can have an equal fight, so to speak, about uh, back takes and, uh, you know, if I play my back defense and whatever position or you're attacking. If I play my cards well, I'm equally knowledge knowledgeable and I've done my homework and trained and drilled this. It, it can be, let's say, it can be way more equal than people think. Yeah, I I think that you have a really good point. Actually, I agree with both of you. Interestingly, I think you're both right. I think that, like you said, the whole defense from the back and being aggressive when someone is on your back, that whole strategy is really, really lacking for most people in jujitsu. And I agree with what you said earlier, which is you will find people purple, brown, even black belt sometimes. And if you're in their guard, you know, they'll give you like a brown belt, black belt level fight. They'll really, really put up a great defense. But as soon as they wind up in turtle or sometimes even as soon as you get to their back, they just it's suddenly like white or blue belt level defense because they spend so much of their game playing guard and learning to defend from there, which is really their first line of defense that once you breach their first line of defense and now you're on their back, they just fall apart. They have no second line of defense um, from my experience. And again, granted, I don't spend a lot of my time sparring with the best in the world. But if I can get to someone's back, especially if I can get to even if I can get them in turtle, there's a very, very high percentage chance that I'm going to be able to turn the game in my favor from there because they don't know how to play it. Whereas I think most people who spar with me would say the opposite, which is that they don't feel safe when they're on top in turtle from me because they know I simply have more tools. That's not to say that, you know, going to turtle as your plan A is a great strategy because it is. Fundamentally, it's it's more defensive than offensive as a position, but the ability to go there and to reset and get back on track, it can really frustrate people when they don't expect you to do it. It is unfortunate, like like Matt pointed out, that under IBJJF, you can't score sweep points from Turtle. If you could score sweeping points from Turtle, I think you'd see it played a lot more. But the fact that you cannot score sweeping points from Turtle, I think, is one of the main knocks against it if you're playing under that rule set. I tend to agree with you there, Steve. I think um, if it was if it was a scoring position, you would definitely see it explored more. But 
You can also look at like ADCC where if an opponent turtles and they're on the bottom and then they wrestle on top. And a lot of the time, the reason you see that is because they're good wrestlers. You still don't see it as much. You still see the turtle as a defensive position. And um, I noticed pre you said if you have really good turtle or really good back escapes or whatever, then it gives you more offense or you could have a more fierce offense because you have the confidence to recover when things go wrong. But I don't necessarily know that those are, I don't know that those correlate to one another. I do see your, your logic that, you know, you, you will take more risks should you be able to, you know, if you, if you know that you can escape, but that doesn't, you know, when the clock is ticking and you're still getting scored on, whether it's advantages or points, it's still not an ideal situation. Uh, my argument is that the at the highest level, when you have when you're going against black belts in the adult division or whatever, or you're at an at an ADCC, you know, time is of the essence, and a lot of the time it turns into a fight against the clock. If your opponent scores on you, now it becomes a fight against the clock. So getting out of turtle, getting back into a situation where you can score takes time, and it ta- it's difficult to be able to again turn it into an offensive situation. My whole thing is when if you have a game where you are confident because you have good defenses, again, you're almost training yourself to be defensive because what really is more important, I think, is to have such a strong offense that your opponent never can put you into a defensive position. So if you have like a reactive game that I'm fine with going to turtle because uh, I know how to fight my way out of there, that's great as long as, you know, I'm assuming you can score from there. But otherwise, you know, your main options are get back to guard and sweep or get a reversal and then pass, which I think is arguably harder than sweeping. So when we're, when the clock is going ticking against you and you're, you know, someone's on your back, let's say they can't submit you because your turtle is so tight, they can't submit you. They're still winning. This is still a situation where you're stuck in a defensive cycle. And I think having a better guard where you're being more offensive and causing pressure and off balancing, that justifies to me more, okay, I'm willing to take the risks rather than just having a great defense. Because if you just have, if if you're just going to take risks and be more aggressive based on the fact that you have a great defense, you know, that, that is important to have a great defense, but in a way you're kind of setting yourself up to be put into defensive positions. But I don't, I don't know why you, why, why we're arguing about this because I have to, uh, I would do the one, one example more. But I, I don't know how I come across in that sense because, because I'm not saying you have to go to turtle and stay there. I'm saying like if you have defensive stuff, if somebody threatens your pass, you know, go to turtle, escape, split second, get back to the guard. I'm not saying I'm not. Okay, I agree with that. But that what I'm saying is that your your ability to do that decision, quick decision under pressure comes from your ability to be really good in turtle and that means you have to spend enough time there that even against the good guys you can make that very fast judgment call and do do and make a correct one against the best guys in the world Mm -hmm. and that means your knowledge pool about the turtle has to be very 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 big right so that is my that is my argument that i understand completely when you it comes to the you know the competition scenery that Guard, guard, attack, 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 and then when something goes wrong, get back to the guard, attack. But making those decisions, and you can see, I, I'm not going to name you or uh, from the top of my head, you know, those fights when, when things have gone wrong, because clearly you, can, you have seen good guys getting guard passed and then they just get destroyed. And uh, so 
you can clearly see they maybe they were tired you know there's a couple of reasons uh hundred reasons they're like uh, you know top athletes against top athletes you you can't really like uh you know say they did something wrong and stuff you can have you know things happen just in a fight that that's why we have those pressure rules but uh, so i we don't i think we don't disagree here and i'm not saying anything i think you oppose i'm just saying that uh, you have to be able to you have to train turtle to execute it really fast and that's the that's the dichotomy or the logical fallacy here that people i think uh, maybe have a hard time getting cross that to make that good decision you have to stay there long amount of time not like you know endlessly like or do it extensively like i do it in sparring because that's my research but you have to do it enough so you know against the best you can hold your own for a split second and make that decision and also i think because those techniques and turtles are understudied and uh, the information there is not even you can call not efficient because clearly if every, everybody will be like uh, tell us in in turtle and then get back to the guard, I think world would be a different place. And so there is a technical deficiency, I think, there that we can accelerate people's defensive skills faster if we, I'd say, if we correct the, the technique, so to speak, because clearly if you play the more open turtle, it will take you way more time to get efficient in that position to defend to attack and to get out because you give so much things away when you do this kind of mainstream stuff that you see if you open you know any youtube video about the turtle so my argument is that uh, we can actually accelerate people and also the back defense and all those things i think that there's a clear technical deficiency there yeah i agree a hundred percent i think that there's uh you know, Matt and I on the podcast before have talked about the concept of asymmetric warfare, where basically you look for weapons that you can develop that your opponent might not have and use them to your advantage. And for a long time, leg locks were that weapon, right? <laughs> there, there just was a, a massive knowledge deficiency when it came to leg locks. I think that turtle is an area where most jujitsu grapplers probably have a similar knowledge deficiency. And I think it plays out from the fact that, you know, <laughs> once people kind of get to that position in jujitsu, normally they get screwed. Whereas with wrestlers, I think that they have a better understanding of how to turn turtle back in their favor. And I will say that, yeah, you don't want to sit in turtle and just let your opponent attack you. But I will say that once I started training turtle more diligently and, and doing some deliberate practice to improve my turtle and my back game, I found two things improved really significantly. One was the odds of me getting tapped out from turtle or from someone tapping me out from the back, they went down a lot. You know, it used to be that people, if they got on my back or got to turtle on top of me, they would be able to tap me quite reliably. That has completely changed. Additionally, I have found that the amount of time I spend stuck in turtle has gone down a lot. It used to be, especially if I was fighting a good wrestler, that if they got on top of me and I was in turtle, I mean, they could basically have me there for like five minutes if they wanted to, but that doesn't happen anymore. Like if I am in turtle, even against a really aggressive opponent, I can get back out in like five seconds if I want to. And that's really one of the advantages I think of playing that position is the ability to go to turtle, reset and get back to a neutral position. It's a very powerful defensive strategy for getting back on track. And I do think that to your point, Preet, it is very clearly underdeveloped in jiu-jitsu. Again, it's definitely not an 
offensive strategy. I don't think many people would argue that you should like, as I have said on the podcast, pull turtle, (laughs) like attack from there. I mean, I do it sometimes to fuck around just because I'm playing and I'm trying to learn that position. But if I really wanted to win, I would not just like slap hands, bump fists and turtle. (laughs) Um, But that said, the fact that I can survive from there and recover I find to be just as good a technique and a strategy as my regarding ability. In fact, even more so sometimes, because in jujitsu, when guys are trying to pass your guard, they often expect you to do traditional jujitsu regards. Even today, I find a lot of the time people get flustered if they're trying to pass and then you turtle, like either whether you turtle towards them or turtle away from them, it's something that people struggle with. And I find that that's actually a useful arrow in your quiver that you can have right now in terms of getting the game back in your favor when it's not going your way. And also, I think uh, I would add what's weird when you watch most guard passing, you know, techniques and stuff. I actually think that turtle is a world between worlds. So I consider open guard, turtle, and then, you know, side, whatever, bottom stuff. Because I expect um, the, 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 the stuff I usually teach is I expect, uh, I teach people to expect turtle after open guard. And I think, I think staying in side control in a way is exception that if you can pick right away the right defense or, you know, you have the knowledge, you can do a shortcut and you do your inverts and stuff. But in a, in a way, for a beginners, it's easier to kind of abandon, go to turtle, and then stand up, turn around, pull guard, or, you know, do the guard pull from the turtle. Kind of like a, Sanjay Ribeiro does, like a half turtle, and then he pulls guard. Uh, and uh, so I think but what I don't like about it is sometimes people think they're passing the guards, and, and if somebody stays flat, the top guy thinks that they did it. But uh, actually, it was bottom guy's ability to not go to turtle or fight for top, actually. And then top guy gets a wrong self of, of perception, I would say. So if you really want to pass and you have to know how to you know, stop people getting to turtle, so you are doing all those things, picking all those elbows, keeping those shoulders flat. And you actually, if you get side control and you know that you did it and you pin them, not them, they're, they're you know, bad ability to stay away from the back and regard or go to turtle so i think this is also you know that that's rarely taught that let's say if i do a knee slide you should expect me going to running man half turtle and then we you play from there so but you forced me one step down yeah and then i definitely also give you access like our options to you know and a shortcut as a regard or whatever the inverse and stuff you have but so you expect both so this would be norm. And then uh, so that, that kind of worldview I, I liked more, so to speak. It's, it would expose people to right away different things. And the argument is also, how do you develop good backtakes if you never meet a good turtle? So how do you know if you're very good at backtakes? Because you always take that back from people that, you know, they play a lousy turtle. So, so to really actually know how the back takes work against a good turtle. Imagine you would have a Tellus in your gym. Imagine how crazy w- would your back takes get because you have to undo this puzzle. So I think it's overall, you know, like a, like a necessary evil that the fence is there in all cases. And then you use it depends on a different strategy on competition and then you adapt. But as a knowledge, uh, it's there and then you use it accordingly whenever you know whatever rule set you have adcc mma or whatever because we have seen also maybe i don't know if you saw 
Robbie Lawler and uh, Colby Covington match. Robbie used kind of like a, you know, almost active turtle or sitting panda or whatever. He used actually panda. Colby couldn't punch him. And he was just sitting there back towards him and Colby could have murdered. And many people just go like, yeah, he's in danger. And they just, they just discarded it because Robbie lost. I was like, this is what we can all do in a highest level of a sport. And Colby could just kill him, but he couldn't punch him with a straight angle, you know, like a good punch. And the Robbie was defending him. And I know he lost the fight, but what he did there to survive, what's the, how he positioned himself against that dangerous striker, for me, I was like, okay, this is what I'm after and this is what I can do in jiu-jitsu. Definitely, I'm not, you know, I haven't tested it myself in MMA, but I was really surprised that, uh, like, uh, Robbie actually showed that what we all can do. And um, I, I'm not going to debate about the argument that, you know, call, uh, that Robbie lost. I think that's a you know that argument doesn't have to be brought here because we we're teaching we are talking about how he survived and and so there is evidence that you know it can help we should study and then we have rules and then we act accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And again, I'm very much I think that all positions should be sparred. We, we target spar the turtle quite often, of course, back control and things like that. It, for me, it's just a matter of like, if I'm going to compete or if I'm going to send an athlete out into the, to a competition, I would prefer that we could minimize positions where we are vulnerable and minimize positions where we cannot score. I understand. Yeah. Or scoring becomes a lot more difficult. Yeah. And I don't mean like, of course, you can survive in the turtle and you may not be vulnerable in that you're not going to get submitted from there, but you're still in a defensive position where you can't you can't win a match easily from there let's say unless they change that rule where you could sweep from there or you could you could sweep from your knees if they did that you know i could totally see people playing playing that position a lot more and and sort of seeing that talus game coming coming back to the forefront um my whole thing is again in situations like that i my philosophy in a match or in a competitive setting is that you'll spend the minimum amount of time in positions like this. So if I do have to go to turtle because I'm getting passed and it does happen and there's nothing wrong with going to turtle, there's nothing wrong with, you know, building systems and and learning about it. But I still think it's the strength of the position is learning how to get out of that position as quickly and safely as possible. So you can get into a scoring position or you can get back to your feet and stand up again. So, but we, we talked about it already. So, that's like a strategy point. So that's like, I don't think nobody is, is saying here anything against that strategy if everything is, you know, as we talked. So I think that, you know, that's the circumstances, that's a strategy, and then people act the way they act. And uh, some make crazier strategies like Telus, some make less crazy. I think Lachlan was mentioning that people can, you know, win ADCC by not scoring at all. I think Orlando Sanchez did it, but Lakla was saying more like, if you just have a good turtle, I think you cannot be scored against. And so that was his, his like a idea that under those rules that being very good in turtle and then landing from all the takedowns and all those things to turtle, I think that was his point that you can just, you know, it's really difficult to score. And if you score even once, you know, then you already win the match. So, so different, like rule sets makes the fight. And I agree with that. If, you know, somebody would 
tell IB Jeff that now now all those the peak outs and all those turnovers from Turtle would you know work. Maybe more people would study, but uh, but still you know. And I think I agree with your argument that what you're saying, but I'm also saying that this is not what we're seeing. We're seeing in competitions that people, if they go to Turtle, they now I'm going to hurt somebody, but now they rather lose. They, if they go to turtle against good people, it's uh, in very many cases the the match goes a little bit downhill more than it has to. Mm-hmm. And my argument is that's for for the reason that they train the escapes less than other people train attacks. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with that. That's like I said earlier. You know, there are a lot of people who, when they're in guard or when they're on top, they're fighting at brown or black belt level. But as soon as they wind up forced into turtle, suddenly they're fighting at like blue belt level just because they've neglected it. And I would say that it's true. There are not many examples of people who like pull turtle and win fights that way at a high level. And you would expect that because it's not an offensive strategy. But there are definitely examples of people whose effectiveness at turtle has saved the fight for them. So their ability to go to Turtle when they're losing, reset, and dictate the pace from there on out because they use Turtle to save themselves, that definitely does exist, right? I think that's really the strength of Turtle. It's not like using it as a weapon to try to defeat your opponent necessarily, but rather using it as a shield so that when you fall into your plan B and things are not working out the way you expected, you're able to get back to your plan A. I think that's the most powerful strategy for turtle is to kind of use it as a recovery vehicle to get the train back on the tracks yeah and then my my point is like imagine that if you know everybody would have a world like world-class level guard and if everybody would have a world-class level tell us turtle you know and uh, so that's kind of my my let's say my dream or something that it's a norm and uh, then i think uh, we will have a different jiu-jitsu so i'm not saying you have to stay there as much as tur- i'm not saying you know for god's sake so so but you know making the quickest decision making you know then you choose how you want to play depends how much time you have and stuff so because we clearly see that i i understand the idea that you know you want to escape fast and everything it's i think it's in theory it sounds very really nice and that's the ideal but that's that is not what we see in competition as a real life experiment and uh, so that is my argument what i'm basing on that that the idea is wonderful, but the evidence what we have shows different, and people have hard time, and the you know game drops there. So the ability to so how do you train? How do you manage your time training for you know be aggressive guard? How much time you have to train defensively? Clearly, uh, if the fens- if defensive knowledge is more uh, developed, more fine tuned, more accurate, you would have to spend less time doing those defensive stuff and getting really good. So I really think that information deficiency and, uh, you know, I got an unfunded research in that sense, uh, motivation of people doing that uh, makes it even harder to get really good in those positions. And even if people don't want to train them extensively because they clearly see a value of, you know, investing to the guard, making that better. So it's like a, I don't know, can I say it like a double-edged sword? It's like, a, or maybe it's not a good reference that, that uh, is it, it's hard anyway, you know, defending like this. And when you don't have a good system of defense and turtles available, it's extra hard, you know? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like the saying goes, you know, a chain is only as strong as the weakest link. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, their turtle defense and their back defense is their weak link. And again, I'm kind of bringing up this example again of how many years ago when leg locks started evolving like crazy, that exposed a massive deficiency in people's games. And for a while, leg locks were like a cheat code. You know, if you were even just like a moderately competent leg locker, you could take out black belts left and right simply because of the knowledge gap. There was a huge hole that was exposed in the knowledge of most people's games, even at a high level. I think Turtle is a good example of that because I've noticed that even very good competitors and even very good grapplers when they're in turtle or in positions like that, they make mistakes that I would consider to be rudimentary. They're not sufficiently defending access to their neck, for example. And that's one of the things where you were talking about, like the boxing shoulder, very, very critical from there. In fact, a, lo a lot of the submissions I get on people are when they turtle because I can force them to expose their neck when they don't want to. They just don't have that knowledge of how to defend from that position properly. Um, you know, I see people trying to do very base level sit outs and stuff, but that's not going to work on me. <laughs> you know, I, I know how to submit people from that position quite effectively. So I feel like there's an opportunity there for sure, where people could basically build a powerful turtle strategy to kind of reset and get, again, get the train back on the tracks. I think that that's really the, the thing that with turtle that makes it super valuable. I do have one more question, Preet. I know we've taken up quite a bit of your time, but I'd like to talk about your philosophy as a as a whole. I know that you're in the process of launching um, a new defensive BJJ program, and I'd like to kind of understand what you mean when you say defensive BJJ. Like the idea of jujitsu as a defense art is something to me that that has always been very appealing about it. I'd just like to understand what your philosophy is all about when you call jujitsu a defensive art. Um, I think defensive BJ. What I mean by that, so if I, I that uh, I will I will study it from the point of defense. So so the site is about okay, how to get out from side control or you know how to defend stuff. I don't think it's completely like a, as a style. Like you know that I'm not I'm this is not this site's not gonna be the way I roll. Uh, it happens to be like very fundamental for a lot of people because I'm studying that how to teach it, so to speak. And uh, but the the site's gonna be a defensive side of BJJ, so not not the style I promote because clearly this is my interpretation, the way I roll, and I'm not gonna create clones by, by advocating that. I'm not that stupid, but I'm really gonna talk about defense because it kind of you have no idea how it stresses me out to see what's going on in YouTube and how people treat uh, how they show techniques, you know, and uh, all the back takes and stuff. Because clearly things work, but my argument is they should work differently when you, you would meet a good defense. And we, we should know that, how to do it. And so the, the site's going to be, you know, the turtles, the pandas, the side control stuff, how to escape. I guess all the possibilities. Uh, I guess in later, so also, you know, the guard retention, uh, back escapes, armbar escapes, submission escapes. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm studying or investigating jujitsu from that perspectives because I think it's understudied, uh, first of all, understudied uh, field. And if you want to go like, okay, show me anaconda escape system, you know, that I can pass on, not some feeling based thing you like to do yourself. It's actually very hard to find the valid information about systems. So that's also my research that I'm, I'm doing that. I'm trying to find out. I'm trying to build a system people can replicate. 
then do it themselves. It's not going to be feeling-based that I like to do this timing and this is what I pass on. I would like to have like early, mid, and you know, late timings, and then people can make a choice. And this is also one way to really understand attacks. So when I'm taking, talking about defensive BGJ, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to the market that's, I don't think there's much competition there. Because clearly people have defense, you know, and I'm not saying nobody can, but I think it's very scattered compared to how thought out guard passing and guard example is. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you get people to side control, they basically have bridge and shrimp and this is what they have. And then it's some random escapes in YouTube. You can find people do this and that. But it's not that systemized as you can see, maybe, um, you know, like, a, like I said, guard, you know, have grip changes games and you have this and that and guard passing sequences and everything is so thought out compared to defensive stuff. It's like, a, it's just people, I don't know, I don't say they don't care, but it, I don't know it's, why it's not a fascinating study because I, I clearly in my mindset, I would say, what I also ask as a trick question usually from people when I do seminars is which superpower you rather have? You would have, you can submit everybody or nobody can submit you. So, because I think the superpower of nobody can submit you is way more demoralizing because the fight is over even if it begin before it began, you know? That's interesting because I think you're right. I think most people would say that they would prefer to be able to submit everybody, which of course, if you're a competitor is totally understandable. I think that there's definitely an overemphasis on the offensive nature of jujitsu and a lot of the systems that have evolved seem to kind of focus on that. And that's understandable, right? Because if you are constantly on the offense, then your opponent by definition is constantly on the defense. And that can allow you to cover up a lot of holes in your game if you're the one who's always dictating the pace, right? So that's understandable. But the day is going to come when someone finds that crack in your armor. So it's, I think it's best to think about this before you need it. And that's a, a really great example. And now that I think about it, you know, we've talked in the past about some mental models for, say, protecting yourself from side control or bottom mount on the show. But you're right. I'm not aware of anyone who's ever really explained concepts for things like how do I get out of a head and arm choke, like an anaconda choke or something? I mean, I've got a few techniques here and there that will hopefully work, but the reality is I don't have a full escape system for that kind of situation. Um, And I sort of wish I did. I mean, of course, my preference would be to not get stuck in that position in the first place. But if I'm going to be honest, it does happen, right? There's nothing you can do really to to guarantee you'll never get stuck in that kind of situation. So it's interesting to see uh, kind of like um, basically it sounds like a concepts program that focuses exclusively on defense and recovery. Yeah. So that's the point. Uh, I think it starts with, you know, the techniques you figure out, they work, and then you try to build a system around those, those techniques and find some laws why it works. So, and also I think it's somebody, um, Alex uh, actually said, he's an analyst, I think in UK, he said very weird thing that I think in a way I like it. And um, so the saying was that people will, will rather not lose than win. Mm-hmm. So people's mindsets are easier. They rather not lose. And that's why they like this. Also what I do, they can survive and still play the game. They can, they know that maybe they can't win those matches some of the matches you know even like older grapplers against youngers Mm -hmm. but they can still play the game and not lose and this people are very much appealed or they're drawn to this kind of mindset because that still allows them in somewhat play the game you know because 
I think this 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 uh, site will uh, you know will mostly help recreational grapplers, and I hope even you know some some everybody else also joins in that sense in some way. So that's actually a really really important thing to say and something that I, I think often gets lost in the shuffle when we're talking about jujitsu. Like a, a lot of the innovation that happens around jujitsu is done so for the sake of competition, right? And in competition, the idea is you're a fully dedicated top level athlete and you're going into what is effectively supposed to be a fair fight. And for a lot of people, that is the environment that they train under and that is their goals. But I would, I would argue that the majority, the vast majority of people who train jujitsu don't have an interest in that to that extent. Their interest, they got into jujitsu because they want to learn to protect themselves, to defend themselves. And that means there's going to be a lot of things in play, but one of them is you're not guaranteed a fair fight, right? You might be a non-athlete. You might be attacked by someone who has a hundred pounds on you. And you might not want to actually like hurt this person, right? I mean, in, like in a street fight, if you get someone in an arm bar and they don't give up, what are you going to do, right? Or, you know, you have to you have to take these things into account. So I think that that's one of those things that, you know, going back, the Gracie's always said about the art, which was that it's, you know, it's about survival first. I think it was Helio who supposedly said that as long as you don't lose, you will eventually win. Like that's not maybe that's maybe not the best mindset if you're going into a UFC fight. But in reality, in terms of protecting yourself, I see the appeal of that mindset, right? If if your goal is to basically be unkillable and untouchable no matter what, I can see why you would want to stick to that, especially if to your point, you know, if you're a 50 year old black belt who's not the biggest, you know, not in the best shape, if you wind up in an altercation or you're training with someone who's a lot bigger you might have to accept the fact that your game is going to have to be primarily defensive. And that's that's a very different mindset and skill set from what I think is considered at the competition level. I mean, obviously, <laughs> if you are a top-tier competitive athlete fighting other top-tier competitive athletes in your weight class, there's a different set of considerations, and that needs to be taken into account. But I think for the the casual grappler, I think that what you're proposing is very much in line with what jiu-jitsu was originally advertised as. Yeah, it's because I think you know the the what's the name Gracie and Galvao Runner Runner Gracie, uh, always forget his kind of pronounce his name. So they had a you know super fight in Metamoris, yeah. So the the clearly it was a draw, but you know because Galvao couldn't beat him, and he, I don't like the claim after you you survived, you know, and then you say oh I kind of won. I don't I don't like those things. So that's why when people you know say oh but uh, you know that people treat not losing as a win um, i clearly i clearly think that that's that's not the discussion we should have here because i'm not for it but as a recreational grappler when you roll and enjoy the art i think it's way more enjoyable for staying or sticking around for jiu-jitsu when you can just survive you know and ho keep your trenches and not lose and keep the game going and then finally start to bite back more and more than just always getting tapped left and right and you don't know what it is and you just then they then usually I say that then they tell you to enjoy this you know but you can usually just you know not lose survive fight for you know the underhooks and stuff and don't get submitted and think for beginners it's very valuable and then the more you know you learn to attack back but I think clearly we see in even in top level you know matches people get side controlled and clearly giving up underhooks and all those things matter also there so they clearly those bad positions happened mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but so that is my argument that you know i'm teaching people to you know play it longer or even attacks will happen 
you know, it's harder to attack. So you have less time to make a right decision how to get out. Because the way I play side control, like I said, I treat it like a, it's not even a side control, I think, because do I, do you're not getting underhook on me. And those side control positions, usually people are expecting to get, they're not there. So it's kind of like a side retention stuff. And then, you know, then I give you or give myself more problems than, you know, maybe Kimura grip happens or seat belt happens. But as first layer, it's like a little bit like a side guard or something. I don't know. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I've seen Matt do this too. And I think that's really one of the key things you notice when you start fighting guys who are at like black belt level is that they don't just let you get side control. There's kind of like an intermediary. It, it feels almost like a side guard. Like, yes, technically you're passed, but you don't have anything yet. <laughs> you know, they're not giving you the head control. They're not giving you the underhook. They're not giving you the ability to basically get chest to chest and pin their shoulders to the mat. So there's kind of like this intermediary phase where if you fail to do that, yeah, technically you have side control, but it's not, you're not going to be there for long. And the mistake I think a lot of people make, especially at the junior level, is once the guy gets past the legs, they just kind of give up and let them finish the pass. And at a high level, you don't do that, right? There is that intermediary kind of like a, it's not real. I wouldn't call it a guard because your legs aren't in play, but there's that recovery window where you don't give the person the cross face, you don't give them the underhook, and you can, they still have the opportunity to recover and restore guard. Yeah, so that's, you know, I call it really early. So early thing to do, actually, and then everything worse happens. So I think escaping is then fun and uh, it's part of the game. And I think there's, this is all observational. So this is a lot of things I, I do. I've seen good people doing the matches in EBIs and all those things. And then I see people just do random things and I don't see they having a system about it. And they sometimes can't talk about it because they don't know. They just do something that feels good. Even I saw Carlos Machado, uh, the, I think the oldest brother, uh, when he played, uh, he, was in, he was in Iceland a couple of years ago and did a class also, and then he rolled uh, later the class with some black belts. He used turning away position, as I call hawking. He was using this and he was controlling the wrist the way I control, and he was saying that he doesn't like to be flat, and he controls the arm, and then it allows him to stand up and everything else. And, and people were watching me like, but this is you, say, what, what you talk about. And I was like, exactly. And now when he says it, you guys believe me, you know? So it's just, but I know that good guys are doing that. Also, let's say Machado was, people asked him, like, uh, you know, show me, you know, like a annoying move you like to do or something, you know? And then actually Machado was, he's stacking in close guard. Machado was like, oh, this is the way I like to kill any guard. He, he was grabbing the lapels. I usually don't like to grab lapels. I, I grab the bicep area, uh, in gi or no gi also. But he was stacking in close guard and he was saying like, uh, he was, you know, butt up and head forward. And he said like, this is the way I, I kill any guard. And then uh, if they push me, I, you know, I stand up, whatever. And so I was just, I just did my, you know, my, my stacking guard or go open, close guard top section just before that, some classes and people were looking to me like, Preet, but you also said about this, you know, their eyes were saying those things. I was like, exactly. Now, if Carlos says that, now it's okay. People believe, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so, so a lot of things that I do and promote, I've I've seen good guys do, and even some uh, some my friends in Holland and stuff, they have some older Brazilian, you know, teachers and stuff, and they're they're saying like, dude, what you say they do, but uh, but they cannot pass it on because there's something they do and they haven't thought about it.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's some dogma around that defensive aspect of jujitsu because, like, like we were saying earlier, there there is kind of a fetishization of offense, which is understandable because it is true that the best defense is a good offense, right? But sometimes you need defense, and I think that for a long time there's been just talk about how things like turtle is just a no no. Don't ever give up your back, and that kind of I think closed people's minds to developing that area of their game. And I think it's, I think you could very clearly argue that a lot of jujitsu people have a very stunted growth when it comes to that stuff. A a problem that, for example, a lot of wrestlers don't have. I I agree with your argument, but I think wrestlers had to study the turtle because they don't have a guard because right away after a takedown, they can't, you know, do inverts and end up in a guard and, you know, fight from there. They have to go belly down and then they have to get back up. So they're forced to overstudy the turtle because that's their only option. Exactly. Yeah. In in wrestling, the rule set is such that because back attacks and and chokes are not a threat, uh, but pinning is a threat. The rule set is such that turtle is overweighted in importance in wrestling. So it's funny because you then will get these wrestlers who are just impossible to deal with when they turtle, but but they may be lacking in other areas, right? Like their guard passing or their guard retention. Yeah, but I, I enjoy that because of turtles. Because of wrestlers, we have a nice knowledge about, you know, how they move and we just have to adapt it a bit to jiu-jitsu, you know. But because of their studies, and I think it's wonderful because I think even somebody, some wrestler said to me that I think they're escaping percent from turtle when they do stand-ups. I think it's 60 or 65 percent, so it's way more than higher than luck because they, they, they train it extensively and even the guys that are behind they can't keep them there or take their, you know, take them down again because they train it so much because also their incentive is there because they get a point for it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, this, I think was a really comprehensive chat. Thank you, Preet, so much for your time. Any closing thoughts or ideas that you want to share before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I, I really appreciate that uh, you guys took me on. And uh, I really was surprised when you said that this was a, you know, the chat you wanted to do a long time. So uh, I appreciate that opportunity because I get, uh, you know, way more enough, uh, way more uh, podcast invitation these days. And that, that means I clearly, I clearly reached some uh, invisible bar that now, now I'm creating interest and then people want to talk about it because I, maybe there's not many people talking about what I talk about. And then I appreciate that. And it's, it's uh, the sign of I'm doing something right. So and I'm appreciating that you guys letting me in and letting me uh, like me to expose myself to your listeners. And, uh, and so I can, you know, continue my work and they can, you know, get access to my work and know about me more. So I really appreciate it. Right. And just to be clear, um, where can people learn more about you if they want to see your material or see your work? So on Facebook, I mean, uh, my nickname in Jiu-Jitsu is a Jits Vulcan because it's like a Jits and Vulcan as a logical and emotionless person. Uh, and so in, in uh, Instagram, I'm Jits Vulcan. It's V-U-L-C, I mean, not with a K, Vulcan, like a original Star Trek. Uh, and uh, Jits is a J-I-T-S. Uh, so, and I'm also, we're, you know, we're building our site defensivebga.com so check it out check out this i'm going to be active in there and uh, so the launch is going to be 5th october so i think facebook instagram and defensive bga i think i'm 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 in those social media uh, platforms 
Awesome. Awesome. And of course, for those who follow us, I mean, I think everyone knows, but if you want to support us, you can do so on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash BJJ mental models. Again, that's patreon.com slash BJJ mental models. If you found this valuable at all, it's the single best thing you can do to support the show. We also offer a ton of premium stuff, uh, direct virtual coaching, narrated roles as well. We will make it worth your while. So again, please do consider supporting us there. Greatly appreciated. Preet, again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Probably time for all of us to go top up our coffee. <laughs> yes. I will leave you to it. Thanks a lot, Preet. Appreciate you coming on. And I hope to visit your gym one day when this uh, pandemic thing finishes up. Yeah, always welcome. Uh, we have a big gym, so lots of room. So anytime. Beautiful. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.